the day that we closed was different than the day that the money ended up like coming into our my co-founder and I's account. But yeah, seeing like a wire transfer like that was definitely like, holy shit, I like screenshot it, screenshotted it and send it to my mom, my mom. And I'm like, I, I don't mean to be a douchebag, but this is fucking crazy. And she was like, whoa, that is pretty weird. <laughs> All right, folks, we have a real heater for you today. Somehow, some way, we snagged Dennis Hegstad for episode 17. Dennis is a purveyor of many things, including Shopify apps, his new VC fund, and uh, his amazing dog, as well as an incredible 90s throwback vehicle. So, Dennis, welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is actually unique because we're both in Austin this time. Usually I'll have some little banter between um, where you're at and where I'm at because we're actually um, just downtown in the studios. And uh, I used to actually live in Dennis's current neighborhood, beautiful home. So I know you're already in Austin, but uh, fabulous. Anywho, Um, you weren't always in Austin, though, right? No, I, I left Austin in 2010 to Los Angeles and then spent pretty much nine or 10 years there and then came back, came back home. Ah, uh-huh, I like it. Um, what brought you back? Uh, my family's here. My business partner and my previous company, Live Recover, he moved here with his uh, his partner. And so it just kind of seemed like after growing up, I guess, 21 to 30 years old, like my I guess my priorities changed and I wanted to double down on sort of like family and, and work. I love that. that. Was all, and that was all amazing. here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's amazing. So you're around what, 33 years old is kind of what my stocking put you at. So in yeah, that area and you've, yeah, yeah. Um, how did you get into entrepreneurship? You have such like a track record for like a 50 year old. How, how, when did you start hustling? <laughs> what did that look like? I mean, it, it, it's pretty impressive what you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. Well, I hope, yeah, well, I, that sounds really nice, but I think it's been a, a you know, not so, <laughs> not so glamorous journey, but definitely fun. Uh, I started playing computer games super early when I was like maybe eight, nine years old and then got into like competitive Counter-Strike in junior high school maybe. And we had a game server company where we set up the servers and then we were like, we're our team. We were really good. And so we we had a team that was sponsored by our own company to kind of like fake it till you make it. And then people like, what? You're sponsored and you guys are super good. What's this company? And then we started selling our servers to other gaming clans and built a relatively big business in high school. I mean, I was just working there and on the gaming clan too, but fast forward, you know, into high school in my space, I got into e-commerce then, which was like 2007 to 2009, I guess. Um, and then after that I was, you know, kind of building meme accounts in 2010 to 2015, uh, had 10 million followers, I guess on Twitter, 11 million followers on Twitter. Not for my personal, but like different accounts that were meme pages categorized as like cool houses, cars, uh, like tweets about sex, tweets about girls, random meme tweets, movie related pages, just whatever. We had it. Uh, I had it. And then eventually end up selling those pages off and getting kind of back into e-commerce. But yeah, so I don't know. I guess I would just say started all just like figuring shit out on my own, but. I love that. How interesting. What gave you the idea to, or I guess what made you see the arbitrage in kind of starting these little meme properties? And then, um, like, how did you see that? Or was that just like a fuck it, let's try this out. And then it just kind of hit or, uh, it was more like I was 
kind of this is like dumb to say out loud, but I was like kind of popular on MySpace, and I, sure. I, but it re- the only way I had sales for my first ecom brand was because I was sort of like a puppet to myself. Like I had to go to all these. I had to. I wanted to, but if I wasn't going to like concerts and warp tour and giving these guys and bands and girls and bands like different merch like then my brand wasn't doing well because i wasn't spending money on ads i was relying on like kind of having a brand i didn't really understand paid traffic yet and then after i realized like oh myspace is dying time to go to twitter uh, i started building multiple pages for myself so i had like my own dennis account and then i had like four extras that i just like automated bots that were following and unfollowing people just in case mine got deleted i would have extra ones and then i eventually just realized like fuck having extra ones i'm going to change those into the account names of like movies and stuff because ashton kutcher raced britney spears and cnn to the first million followers on twitter in 2009 and so i changed my backup accounts to meme accounts like the movie ted when ted came out and like something else and i'm like why would i need i don't want to have like four accounts about me i'd rather just have four accounts about random stuff where i don't have to like really be attached to them and then after that i realized like you know i spent maybe a year on that without making a dollar eventually found this website called my likes which was run by some people at google who started like google adsense and like all these crazy products and they were offering like 50 cents to 30 cents a click for sharing links to twitter and I'm like, oh, I have, you know, four accounts with like 30, 40, 50,000 followers each. And I would share links and make like 40 bucks every time on each account. So I'm like, oh, whoa, I can make like 100 bucks a day. And then I just got really, I just doubled down on that. And then I just started chasing trends and buying accounts and buying retweets. And uh, yeah, I'd post a link and buy retweets from like celebrities. That's and amazing. Then, yeah, found a way to kind of make like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. And they were paying out weekly. So it was, yeah, turned into something that became kind of like a full-time thing. That is fa- I've never heard that before. That's incredible. So from Counter-Strike to Meme Master to then you're starting to <laughs> level up into your uh, your companies, right? So you had your Exposely and then Live Recovers kind of about this time, right? Yeah, so Exposely was the way to monetize my meme pages without relying on my likes, but also to tap into all my friends' pages. So instead of going to like AOL and saying, hey – I want five cents a click or 10 cents a click for all the AOL websites. I can't only sell so many clicks a day with my 10 million or whatever followers, but I have 15 friends and we all have 10 million. I can say, Hey, we have 200 million followers on Twitter. We can drive this much. Right. And so I would get call it 10 cents a click from AOL and I'd pay my friends seven cents a click. Uh, and I'd make three cents on every click, but then I'd also drive my own clicks too, where I'd make full margin. But I basically built my own network for yeah. my pages and and I let other people tap in and I took a fee. Um, but after that, essentially moved on from that, got into e-commerce again, sort of less meme pages back to e-commerce. But I've been doing a lot of paid traffic and meme, and meme pages and all this stuff. And so I figured like I could probably really do well with e-commerce, did some of that my own dropshipping sites, but kind of like instead of dropshipping, I would actually import inventory from say China and get my own products produced and white labeled. I wasn't just shipping from China. Um, but after doing that for a while and kind of chasing the trends of like, kind of like the fidget spinners to the black charcoal mask, to the, this, to the, that I, I, I started realizing like, I I think that there's like more opportunity in some of these apps. Um, I talked to my co-founder of live recover before we were co-founders, I guess, of that business. And, showed him some stuff right and then he came back to me was like hey i think we should do a text message app 
with like live humans, right? It wasn't my idea. It was actually my, my co-founder's idea. Um, so to be fair, it was, live recovery was not my, my, my idea. It was his. That's so fascinating. And so I was actually reading uh, when I was doing research for the podcast. Um, he built it while he was on vacation. Is yeah, that, he, was that he, correct? The MVP? He just cranked, yeah, he, you, you kind of brain dumped on him and he basically just cranked out an MVP for you in a, a, a couple of weeks on his vacation? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> he, did, he, he knew what to build, right? He was an engineer and he yeah. knew from some feedback, we had talked about it, done definitely like a lot of research and he did e-commerce as well. I had done e-commerce. So we knew how did we service ourselves, right? And like, what would we want? And there was also you know, SMS bump and attentive already in the market. Uh, and so we, it wasn't like I really needed to tell him much of what to do. He was like, give me two, three weeks and I'll have something that we can start onboarding customers, you know, for by the time I'm like done, you know? So he went on vacation, I think to like Italy and somewhere else. And then he came back, had a couple of days of like, you know, up, uploading everything, getting everything ready in a public environment on the web. And then it was like, hey, do you have customers? I'm like, yeah, I got like 25 brands re- like ready to go. And he's like, oh, shit. Uh, sweet. And then, yeah, it was kind of like from day one, we were just able to, yeah. I relied on him a lot, obviously. So, because I'm, I'm not an engineer, even though I know a little bit. I'm, I know enough, but not enough to be spending my time writing code. Yeah, I love that. The other thing I found so fascinating was um, you guys essentially, I mean, not burn the ships. It sounded like you were, you know, in a decent financial place. But um, from my research, you guys didn't take a nut till what, eight months or so after you started the business where um, that, I mean, that's a pretty long time for most people, right? To not pull anything out of the business. How did you construct that? Was that on purpose? Where was your head at there where it, it kind of like, can you color on the lines there? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think next time, you know, like if we work on something else in the future, I, that's probably not going to be the way it goes. <laughs> but uh, I think at the time we we were very adamant on building a business that was self-sustaining, even okay. if it meant like not making any money for ourselves personally for however long, uh, because we were reinvesting a lot of the money into ads. And when I say a lot of money, when you're only making like three or four grand a month in revenue for your whole business when you launch, right? Like you put a thousand dollars a month into ads, 2K, right? Half your revenue, the other half yeah. are costs, right? And we we did every text because we're a human powered text message, you know, app. Uh, we did every text ourselves for the first eight months too. So like if we weren't responding to the text on behalf of our merchants, we were not making money and we did that on Black Friday, Thanksgiving morning, Christmas morning, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Like I was on my computer and so was my co-founder no. doing every text for every brand. That's cool. For the first for the first six to eight months, we finally hired our first texting agent uh, after the first like six to eight months. And we were like, why the hell did we take that long when they, you know, we, we had talent in, in, in overseas and the, and the salaries were enough that we could have you know, justified paying for it earlier, but we were trying to be like, no, we should wait. Cause we're not even paying ourselves yet. We should, you know, obviously we should pay someone else first before us, but, uh, yeah, we waited a little too long. Um, and you know, when you take a, when you really have a, we have a realistic salary, right? Like sure. I, I haven't worked personally for like less than a hundred K a year in a while. Sure. And so granted when we started paying ourselves, it was like two K a month each, 
So if a company will say wanted to look at your financials, they're like, oh, well, is this company profitable? And you're like, yeah, it's profitable. They're like, well, not really. You guys are only taking a salary of 25K a year. So if you were paid a real salary, this company would be in the hole. So we had to yeah. like actually zoom out and look at like, damn, what are we like, you know, we, we, didn't, we could have even waited longer. It was the point on the salary because it really didn't make a difference. But we try to like kind of introduce a salary at a low amount just to get the company on a position where we have to be expecting some like real expenses, not that like, 2K a month was real, but to the proportion of the revenue of the business, it was like maybe we were doing 20K a month or something then. And we were like, oh, we should at least pay ourselves like a little bit just so the company's getting used to that sort of, I don't know, capital expenses. Not like we waited Payrolls, another two months. Yeah. yeah. we had, So then we, we did all that properly and paid ourselves as like employees and did it all, you know, in a way that made How sense. Cool. That's so fascinating to me. And so at what point, or I guess, where was your headspace at? Was it always in terms of like an exit acquisition or were you building like this juggernaut to hold on to for life? And then somebody just hit you with the number that you couldn't refuse or like, where was your head at when you're building this company? We didn't have any intention of like building it to sell it. I think like most, most people might think that's like the goal. I mean, maybe that's a dream of some kind, like, wow, that's an amazing outcome if that ever happens. But, um, we had some interest really early on, which was kind of cool. Like I think in our beta phase, we were like six months old and someone offered to acquire us for like a couple hundred thousand bucks. And we were like, right, right. no, we're like, no, come on. Uh, we, we have a lot more work to do. We didn't even feel like we had earned whatever that was, right? We're like 400,000 bucks, like no. And so we waited like, you know, another year and then someone else tried to offer a couple, you know, a million dollars for something. And we're like, no, like we think that, you know, we have more work to do. Um, and we felt like we were still pretty early because a lot of companies are like, what? SMS marketing? It's like 2019, yeah. mid-2019. We launched mid-2018. Uh, but so like eventually it started getting to a point where we were making some serious money. And when it was just my co-founder and I and our you know team of texting agents and one other engineer. So realistically, like we were never bigger than 10 people. Uh, yeah. three, three core, myself, a co-founder and another engineer and then texting agents. But... Um, you know, at a certain point when there's a lot of competition around you that are all raising venture capital and they're being valued at ridiculous amounts of revenue multiples, call it 40, 50, 60 X and you're bootstrapped and you're like not that far behind in terms of revenue. People are like, they look at you as like a, a very attractive value buy. And so there was a, you know, at a certain point where we're just like, whoa, I, we didn't list our company for sale. It wasn't for sale. We were building our business. Um, but when people are knocking on your door and, you know, giving you offers that make a lot of sense, uh, sometimes you, you might listen. And then, you know, for us, we found some people that we thought were great partners and we ended up selling the business to them. How cool. Well, that is definitely an entrepreneurial wet dream where, uh, you're just kind of working and then all of a sudden this money suitcase not <laughs> is kind of at your door and you're like, huh. I wonder what we do here um, without d revealing too much. What is that process like? So somebody started courting you, you, you guys kind of start to like open the kimono a bit, you show them some internal numbers and then the, the negotiations start from there or like how, how does that for people that have never been involved in an acquisition or anything like that, what are the machinations behind that? I, I mean, to be honest, this was my first time doing something like I would call like a big acquisition. Um, mm -hmm. the, the one I sold my meme network for like a couple, like a, 150k or something and that was felt amazing right but this was you know a, a life-changing amount of money and so it was 
we had already gone through a process with someone else who had given us a, a deal that we thought was very fair, but they took a lot longer than they had sort of proposed. And after, you know, call it three months, we're like, this is taking way too long. Um, we had done all of, you know, what we had felt was our, our side of diligence. And then that ended up not falling, you know, working out. And so we had all of our financials and everything in a row, everything was ready to go. Right. And then we're like, okay, we don't have time to be selling our business. We need to be working, right? We have too much that we could be doing right now. And so we got back to work and then maybe 60 days later, 90 days or less, uh, someone else came by. And then all of a sudden it was like three people had come to us inbound saying, Hey, like, We'd be interested in potentially talking about acquisition or whatever, whatever. And uh, we know we had a baseline number from the company that had already tried to offer us and had kind of went through this process with us. Um, and so we just said, hey, we've grown by like a good amount since then. And not that we think like we can charge, you know, necessarily double or whatever in amount, but we we need more than what the previous you know yeah. situation was. And uh, Pretty much all the parties we talked to agreed, but one or two of them were will, willing to move forward faster and and just like kind of basically not. We explained like we don't want to be stuck selling a business, like trying again, right? Because then you might be stuck selling a business for six months out of the year, and you're like, no, I got to work. You can't do. It's hard That's to do so both, sick. especially when your company is just three people. Uh, and so yeah, the, you know, we found a good party, and and they. There wasn't really much negotiation. It was kind of like we were all on the same page. We flew, we met each other in person, went on some trip, kind of like not not like parties, but like a work trips and talked about the future of the business and made sure everything was kind of in line and discussed like vision and where we at, where we are at in the market and just kind of, yeah, make sure kind of a character check. We like each other. Do we know each other? Do we feel like we could be there for each other? And uh, yeah, just kind of went through that motion and it ended up you know, not taking that long, like what less than half the time of the other situation or more and uh, work. Yeah, just worked out pretty well. How surreal was that for you? Like, was there any moments that you kind of had like that out of body experience, like in the last negotiations when that the big number is going to close, you know, and the wire is going to hit the next day or something like that? Did you ever have kind of like a holy fuck moment? <laughs> or was this all just kind of like, you know, you'd been hustling towards it. And there was just, you know, eventually, as you do good work, and you create value in the world. Um, you know, a lot of times you get rewarded for that. What was that kind of headspace like when you were like closing that deal for the first time? Because it sounds like it was significant money. And so that, that had to be a lot of ramifications going through your head, right? It was, a, it definitely was like, I didn't know, you know, oh, there's always something that could change or happen last minute. Maybe like the other thing, we, we were kind of emotionally invested, like this is going to work out. We're, we're stoked. And then after a while, we're like, we understood it wasn't because and my, we have an advisor who goes, one deal is no deal. <laughs> Basically, yeah, like yeah. if only one person is trying to buy your company, it's, you don't have a deal. Like you're going to have multiple people trying to buy your business at once if you have a real, like a real exit opportunity. And so, and that ended up being true. So he was right. But, uh, you know, yeah, like the day that we closed was different than the day that the money ended up like coming into our, my <laughs> co-founder and I's account. But yeah, seeing like a wire transfer like that was definitely like, holy shit. I like screenshot it screenshot it and send it to my mom my mom and i'm like i i don't mean to be a douchebag but this is fucking crazy and she was like whoa that is pretty weird and uh so i was like okay i was like yeah i think i also feel like i need to move a lot of this out of my bank account now <laughs> just because yeah. i'm like what the fuck this doesn't seem safe and then uh yeah that was cool uh had a little bit of an identity crisis after i'm like what do i do now this is like 
I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Now what? It's like, now what? Who am I? I this is it. Like, it's not like, you know, enough to, it, it's like maybe enough to live like a very like conscious, capital conscious life. But like the lifestyle I want to live is like, I'm still young and I don't have a family yet. So I want to still go a little harder and try to do more. Yeah. So it sets me up to do more and invest more. And like, I bought another app since selling live. Yeah, I saw that. Which we're, I, we're, yeah. The but like, book, right? it's, it's not, yeah, but it's, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, I built this head up, this idea up since I was like maybe a teenager, maybe selling a company for tons of money and you're just going to go lay on a beach and do nothing or something. And then it's like within like weeks, I'm like, I need to get back to doing something. Like I'm bored as fuck. Uh, and that's what it was. It was like, there, it kind of felt liberating in a way, but also like, that's it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a new, a new game, a new mountain. Kind I bought, of I bought a new truck and I bought like an expensive watch and then like, I bought my mom a watch and gave her I was some just going to say your mom. Yeah. You got her some a sweet time piece. I, I, I took care of my mom a bit and, and like paid down more of my, my house just because interest rates are so low that I, there's no reason to pay it all off. But yeah, yeah. just like normal stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah. All right, cool. How let's, get, let's get back to it. <laughs> That's so fascinating. So through all this, um, so I don't know if I knew you really intimately before the identity crisis, but I've been a long, long time listener, first time caller. And you seem like one of the happiest, most productive kind of guys. I'm seeing your Strava tweets, like all this stuff. How do you kind of keep things like, do you use any frameworks? Do you have routines? Like, how do you stay so happy, successful, productive? Like, is it just in your bones or like, do you have kind of systems that you shape that shapes your environment to allow for the path of least resistance to be the most productive path? I don't think I have a lot of frameworks necessarily. I, I try to follow people who do because I strive to be more like them, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I'm not, I, I think like, at least for me, I've just always kind of done my thing and been fortunate that it's sort of been working out. Uh, and I haven't really relied on a lot of other people for my own success, but that's not to say that I don't want to like work with more people and like have more people around me, but at least moving from even LA to Austin before it was just so much noise and nonsense and compare comparison to other people and trying to keep, I find myself like going like shopping for designer stuff just because I'm like, just for what, to prove that I have the money to do it. I don't even want all this shit. And then I move here and I'm like walking, you know, I'm wearing like socks and fucking flip flops and just looking a mess. And I don't give a shit what, what I, you know, it's just like a different mindset of being here. And like, even though what I'm doing now is like significantly more than, and then have quote, have more stuff and money or whatever than like when I was in LA, but here I don't care at all to spend that money on, on comparison or keeping, comparing, keeping up with other people and comparing other people. So I think like for me, like waking up pretty early, it doesn't matter when I go to bed, I get up at like six, six thirty. Uh, I try to run or do cardio every day, but like mainly running just because I like running specifically. And I think that Austin's beautiful and I get leisure out of it. Yep. You're doing a half um, but, marathon too, yeah? Yeah, I'm doing a half marathon with uh, my girlfriend this Sunday from the Domain to Downtown is the name of it, sponsored by 3 It looks like a really cool course. Yeah, it's like right on the frontage road the whole way. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I think that also just like I've been I, not having an employer slash someone who can kind of restrict the way that I call it, I don't want to say acts, but the way that I am. Uh, maybe that's on Twitter or in, in person or in groups or, or whatever. Like I don't have anybody who really is able to check me. And while that might be reckless to some degree, I can 
just do what I want. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a somehow like hard to be upset with myself or anything if I have full luxury over all those things. Whereas like maybe if you work at a company and you feel like saying something to someone, you have to hold back because you're like, oh, I don't want to get fired because I don't have a, you know, and that's normal. But like and at the end of the day, if I want to do that, I'm only hurting myself and my business and my apps. So at the end of the day, like if I want to take on that irresponsibility or responsibility by acting a fool or shit posting or being myself or whatever that means, then I'm going to do it. Uh, and I think that for me, at least that's so far been okay. <laughs> I don't think that's a great framework for anybody or for most people, but, uh, you know, generally I try to be nice and help people and, and, and then sometimes I, I, I act a fool and, you know, you got to be able to handle both of those <laughs> I th yeah, totally. I think it's the human experience, but on all accounts, I think you're definitely above average in terms of uh, joviality. And I've, I've always seen you kind of put out a helping hand to pay it forward. So I, I think you're doing an incredible place there. Do you do any kind of meditations? Are you spiritual, religious, any of that stuff? Or you just kind of, you know where you're at and you're centered and you've kind of I, I moved on to what you want to be? I think meditation is great. And I wish that I was like more disciplined with my time and like made it part of my schedule. Cause I, at one point I really was after some like bad, not would say bad stuff, but I had some like problems with Xanax in the past when I was like 25 or 24 and like yeah. med meditation really helped me then a lot after kind of getting, getting through all that. But now I just haven't made the time. I think that meditation is amazing. Like I will, I will leak out of my eyes because I don't take the time to like give myself, but I kind of run for that. Right. For me, when I run, I'm not on my phone. I'm not on my phone. I spend an hour running, maybe even an hour and a half without stopping. And my heart rate's like, you know, at a great pace. I'm just like in pure bliss. I'm not talking to anybody. Sometimes I don't have music on. I'm just listening to the nature or sometimes I have like rhythmic music or even like death metal and i'm just like in the yeah. zone and it's like feels amazing so to me it's kind of like my own meditation but it's not truly sitting there and doing like breath work per se and like reflecting or, or thinking about nothing like i'm certainly watching where i'm going and have like you know i'm aware but no i don't you know i don't my, my mom told me something fucked up but i still think it's true to to say is like when i was a kid i'm like mom my parents are norwegian and growing up in texas and houston i'm like we moved from San Francisco to the woodlands where I grew up. And I'm like, mom, all my friends go to church on Sunday. Like, why don't we go to church? And she's like, Dennis, like God is like Santa Claus for adults. Like once you get to a certain age, you just like, stop, you just like stop believing. You don't need any of that. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so like, she told the same thing, same thing to my brother. And I'm like, Oh, so like kind of growing up, I was never really like, she's like, you can just make anything happen that you need to do and do and like, just take, take ownership. And you know, whatever the rest, yeah pray if you if you want to but like she just said it set the stage pretty early like no need which is you yeah, know that's sure. an opinion but yeah naturally enlightened yeah for for sure whatever serves you i think there's definitely some some beauty in religion but personally i think the the without getting too far down the rabbit hole the organized part of it can get a little precarious um sometimes where it's not really um, serving the purpose as much as it should be i love that sure okay two more quick questions here so you have uh pretty uh nice watch collection how did you get into that is that was that just something that you came into the money and you wanted to play with or was that always on the radar to be honest like i i definitely got a watch when i was young i think for my dad as like a gift that i thought was a gift i'm like wow i got a fossil watch in like fifth grade i yeah, thought i was the sh i thought i was the shit i'm like yes i got a fossil watch 
And then it was really because my dad wanted me to have a watch so that I knew to never be late. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so like what a terrible gift. But like it was masked as a nice gift. But I love that. And I, like I love that watch because I was like, you know, you're I was a kid. I eventually, you know, got like a G-Shock and I thought like these are kind of cool. And I was very into skateboarding growing up. Uh, I was probably five, six years skateboarding. And yeah, eventually just, you know, I got like a fake Rolex, I think, when I was like 13 from yes. some some friend's dad went to like Africa or Egypt on business. And he like got me and all my skateboarding friends fake Rolexes. And I remember like wearing it to the skate park and just thought I was like so sick. And then like I ended up cracking it on the ground and I was just my life was ruined. I'm like my fucking fake Rolex I paid $75 for is ruined. I was so upset. Uh, and then I was like, I'm never going to have one of these until I can buy, you know, a real one. And then. My stepdad growing up was in like the Air Force and whatever, Got in, was in the country club and golf business growing up in the woodlands and he had a bunch of nice Rolexes. Uh, and so he was always like sh letting me like wear them even though they're like way too big for me, but just like in the house just to like look at them. There's like solid gold, old school military edition for only Air Force specific like That's veterans cool. of like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, wow, you know, these are really like pieces of like history and kind of just like got I didn't I wouldn't say I was big into watches but I definitely was like exposed to them and was like kind of told like appreciate them basically and he was a pilot and had his own like little twin engine plane that he had a part oh, cool. ownership with some friends and so he was very into like that culture and so I I started to like it and then I bought my first Rolex when I sold my meme network which is actually the one I'm wearing right here but I oh, bought yeah. it like probably in five years 26 2017 and then, yeah, when I sold Live Recover, I bought two more. Uh, and then one, I bought my mom this Rolex Yacht yeah. Master. And then, yeah, I'm still kind of on the hunt because they're like other people are buying NFTs and I, I bought a few, but I'm like, you know what? I'd rather buy watches because most of the watches I've been buying, I could get for the same price as a picture of a monkey and I can like wear it. And then it's worth double also. And it's like got gold or steel and like metals that have more inherent value to me than like a picture on the screen. Not that I'm hating on NFTs, but just like in comparison, there's different types of things that you can invest in. And I understand those more. And so I like the history I a little that. bit, but yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. That's, that's beautiful. I'm right there with you, I think. And also to kind of an ancillary point, um, as a male, you really only have a few ways to express yourself. Right. And like your timepiece is usually one of the most explicit ways to, um, uh, kind of express yourself so that's a really cool thing okay for last sure. question for the main segment you have a bunch of amazing tattoo work how did you get into that <laughs> how much chair time have you done because uh, you you have full sleeves on your legs correct yep i think they're called yeah i guess they're called leg sleeves but yeah i have both my leg legs sleeves. yeah yeah how did is that is it all one piece or was it just added on to or like how did you it's pretty intricate yeah, it's one piece for both legs. I basically like had this guy I met in Austin when I was probably 18 or 19. His name is Hector Fong. Uh, he works in Austin now again. He recently moved back. But when I was 18, I was like, I don't, all I care is like tattoos every paycheck. I had like every two weeks I was getting a paycheck while I was working on my e-com stuff and meme stuff. But I was like, every paycheck I'm getting $200 or $300 towards a tattoo. And so I'd go get towards working towards my leg. But I basically started with the outline of the whole leg and then we did the color and then uh yeah he ended up moving to LA or I'm sorry to Oakland I moved to LA and so I was flying up there every every few every few months uh just to get my my other leg worked on and then yeah we just did both like full legs and and now I'm kind of I've taken a break from getting tattoos for now but I think like if I get to you know let's say my next businesses do really well I made a kind of promise to my mom I would never do anything on my arms unless I had like 
basically like fuck you money. And I don't know what that, I don't, yeah, I don't, whatever that means, whatever fuck you money means. But if that number hits, then I'm just, and and hopefully by that time, if that ever happens, that I maybe won't want them anymore. That's kind of like set the goalpost out so far that like, by that that time, eh, I'll probably be like, maybe I'm like 50, like, eh, who's 50 trying to buy their like Corvette going through a crisis? Like, I don't, I don't need that. Get in the, anyway. neck, the neck piece at fifty five or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to be doing that. But yeah. So I don't know. I've always just liked tattoos, and now I've kind of, I've got them. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, cool. So let's jump. That was the main segment. It was so fascinating. I've been wanting to ask you all that stuff. Um, let's jump in the value add segment. This is why the people bought the ticket. Um, Triple so, Shout out Triple Whale. Holla. So what um, are the hardest parts and best parts of starting and running your own business? What would you say? I think the best parts I touched on were just like being able to kind of go at your own pace, yep. but you know, being able to be yourself on your own schedule and things like that, or working with a group of people who allow you to do that, then it's like ideal. Um, yep. And then like, you know, the worst parts are, are probably actually the same thing because those things yes. can hurt you and you don't really understand like to some degree when other people put guidelines and guide, guidelines in place for you, it's not like they don't even know what damage you could do to both like the company you work for or your own company. <clears throat> so I think like, yeah, obviously there's a lot more upside in owning a business, but let's just say you can't work for on something and give it the nurturing it needs for like six to 12 months and you have to raise money, spending six months raising money. It's, a, it's just a different level of grind. So I think, I don't know, it's hard. I think raise, like building a company is really hard. If you have a partner and a team that you can work with and someone is really good at raising money and someone's really good at building the product and someone's really good at doing the business side and you found like a, a you know, your tribe and then that's, I would say that's better. Like starting anything with a really small team is super hard and I wouldn't advise it unless you've done it before and you kind of know, you know, like maybe you've got a little extra money and you can buy some time to like not do anything other than this. And if so, then maybe yep. you're in a more fortunate position than most, but. I love that. Um, what are you most excited for in 2022? So you're really plugged into the DTC space. You obviously have a little constellation of Shopify apps. Um, what are you most excited for there? I think we still haven't seen like the full scope of like where the app store and just the app are going to go right now. I think, you know, like we're missing obvious things, but I don't know if they're needed. So I, Shopify is so big now and I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to see where where more apps are going and that's because that's the, the space that I work in, right? I'm like, ooh, are there going to be like A-B price testing apps or are there going to be live video shopping apps or what's going to work? What's going to be cool? But I but I still think all the like chasing those cool things is is exciting, but like focusing on the stuff that already exists and works is also not too bad. Like yeah. like you're, you, you guys with Triple Whale are in an exciting space, right? Like right now, it's really hard to solve for attribution and like, and a lot of the stuff because of the iOS changes with Facebook and tracking. And so like, those are, those are things that I'm excited about seeing how, you know, how much efficiency those types of tools bring to brands that have been suffering because it's not like Facebook doesn't work anymore. It's just that like a lot of the Facebook might not be able to optimize because of these things. And so you are sort of left spreading a wider net, which means you have to be a little bit more organized and then, Facebook will eventually catch up on the optimization stuff. They are, they're just still catching up on the reporting side. So I think, you know, I am excited for, for those things to kind of get, not, I wouldn't say back to normal, but get to a little bit of a healthier place. And then, you know, still excited to see like, what is, how do NFTs actually play into Shopify and things like that? 
Um, I'd also love to see Shopify get a little more heavy on digital goods. And I don't mean NFTs. I just mean like I would love to be able to gift a free ebook if you buy my product or upsell, call it an upsell of a free ebook download through the Shopify platform, right? They they have a wide open opportunity to sort of compete with Gumroad and just like, or yep. just kill Gumroad. I mean, Gumroad's yep. an amazing product, but they could buy Gumroad easily. They could release a product that's comparable for cheaper. 100%. And so I don't know, I'm excited to see, you know, where that stuff goes. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of new stuff, but, uh, you know, Shopify's opening up more extensions to their checkout, which yep. I'm excited about for, for order bump, for other apps that do, things Recharge in the checkout native yeah yeah exactly yeah just just all this new shopify checkout like expansion i think is going to be really good for merchants and just customization stuff so we'll see how it goes yeah that's a super fascinating outlook what do you think in the next three to five years is it going to be an era of incumbents or is it going to be an era of startups i mean we're seeing like right now what's happening is like it's like i think there's just like a cycle where it's like oh let's let's Un, let's unbundle everything and then it's time to like oh wait no no it's time to bundle everything back up and then it's like oh no the future is unbundling so like i think right now we've been still in this kind of like unbundling phase but we're starting to see it become back of this bundling up phase where at least in the ecosystem of shopify i'm hearing more and more about people who are saying hey we just bought 10 apps or or like even myself my goal was to you know use my fake vc kind of like my own money not like a lot lots of money but say for you know acquiring five apps we spend a million dollars total or something um that's for me like that's five apps but like other people are going to raise 10 million dollars to go buy 10 right. apps or or five apps or whatever and so or more money and so i'm like damn there's now we're at that point where i think there's going to be a lot more of this sort of, of, of bundling up opposed to just like more startups. And then that's going to just be them eating those people and using their efficiencies behind the, behind the scenes to kind of like kill all the competition, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I'm much of that same ilk as well, where, um, cause you're seeing a lot of like the Thrasios and people that are either Amazon rollups or Shopify store rollups now, um, like or store, your, like, like kind of, yeah, exactly where, uh, and you're also seeing it all in the agency side. Where if you have kind of like a smaller agency, a lot of these bigger agencies are just gobbling up these kind of smaller books essentially to uh, basically pad their balance sheet, I guess. I don't, I don't know, really understand. Keep growing. Yeah, you got to keep growing. Exactly, right? Like you just say, hey, we'll, we'll pay. The way I see it is almost like an acquisition cost, right? They're, they're basically, those are marketing fees that they're paying to acquire these customers and then hopefully it nets out and they don't churn and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's really fascinating. I love that. Um what else do we got here? When you see, when you were kind of bumping up against other businesses, was there any glaring mistakes or anything that jumped out at you that you wouldn't do next time or that you saw in the moment where you're like, oh, that's going to be a real big matzo ball hanging out there. That's a, that's a pretty fatal misstep. <laughs> matzo ball. Love that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think at least from my mistakes, our mistakes was like, we, we shouldn't have waited so long to hire some people. And I think that like, raising money is hard so unless you're good at raising money or have someone who is go do it but we we just did, we were we got burnt out early in our business because we weren't reinvested we were really close to our minimal profits right because we were just like oh shit we're making money we should have some money in the bank and should be prepared to spend like whatever on ads and this and that and like realistically we should have just invested everything into the team had very little in the bank at all at all at any time and just kind of like focused on growing faster um i think that that's 
pro- I don't know. I think that that's probably like the main thing. I love that. Yeah. Quick, quick growth and then kind of validate the thesis or falsify it quickly so you can pivot. I, I think, that's well, I mean, even bad. being profitable, if you're really profitable when like your first or second year in business, it's, the question is almost like, why? Like, I know at the end of the day, like you're trying to grow the business. Like at the end of the day, you're going to end up paying taxes on that profit anyway. So if you don't really want that money and you're just, you know, it's like if your business made a lot of money, it's kind of like, unless you need that money for yourself right now for some life event, which if so, that's fine. But if you don't, should have probably spent that on like more growth or some new tests or something. I don't know. Section 179, go get you a car or something. Uh, No, I'm totally with you on that, though. There is a certain aspect of, and it's kind of odd, a small digression, but it's so weird, the the tax treatment of W-2 income versus uh, business income, where it's just, it's so unique, where those W-2 taxes, man, you're going to pay money on that. And to your point, like, unless you need access to financial instruments, dude, business income is the way to go, where you can ratchet that, that tax liability down by spending your money versus... W-2, you're going to pay what you're going to pay. It just kind of is what it is. But I, I love that, man. Okay, last one in the value add segment. Tell me a little bit about Fake VC. One, your, your branding sensational. It's phenomenal. I mean, first, absolute first rate. Um, and then secondly, what was the story behind the piece you got? I mean, it, it is a stunning piece of jewelry. I'm, I'm guessing it's real, correct? For sure. For sure, real. Yeah, I don't know for, like for how sure, much... Bro. Yeah, I mean, so it's I, gorgeous, I thought, I, I'll show you. I think it's hilarious. I got one for live recovery too. But okay, so this is like it's like a little. It's just our logo, but I I thought it was you hilarious. with diamonds for everybody that are listening. I, yeah, it's like a little emoji of like it's a gorgeous a character. But anyway, so this I see on Twitter, and I, not that I have like any kind of feeling towards it. I just think it's kind of funny that everyone seems to be a VC, and yeah. so like I don't know what that means that I see someone who's like eighteen that's like a VC and I'm like, okay. I mean, I believe you, but I don't know really what that means. And so since it became so popular, everyone's like a VC or a VC scout. I wanted to start a company where anyone, and I I will do this. I've just been lazy because I've been focused on other stuff, but if anybody wants to build this, please hit me up. I would, I will pay you. Uh, But fake VC will eventually be a place where anyone can come pay $9 a month to be a VC. And so you'll be able to be a VC for nine bucks a month. And anyone that doesn't believe you, you'll have a page on our team page for $9 a month that says that you're a limited partner in fake VC and you are have a picture and you can put it on your LinkedIn and out of it, you get nothing out of it except for access to our investor updates. But the investor updates are just me and like how my companies are doing, which I'll probably share on Twitter, but that will be something that you get. And that's it. Uh, That's all. But so the name was really just to kind of like be a parody and a meme about like, I don't have a college degree. I dropped out of college. So I'm not really, I have no, you know, like accolades on paper, but as someone who's also using their own money, I'm not going after big deals that I want to buy Shopify apps that will be like you know, a 60, 50, $80 million, whatever valuated business. No, like we're going after companies that are like, you know, doing 25 K a month in MRR, maybe, maybe a little bit less. If you have a smaller business, that's niche, that's just making money. but not trying to spend money on big quote VC ideas, just like companies that will cash flow and that are relatively sustainable. And so that was sort of the thought, but eventually when we drop the sort of way where you can pay to upload and be a VC and then that's, that's going to be, that'll be my fun project that I'll, that I'll be super that's, excited about. There has to be some sort of NFT angle to that as well. I was thinking that, about like, that, get, but then it might be You get a little expensive. membership card. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a better Pushing play. some economics where, like, cause you shouldn't be an LP right off the bat for nine bucks. You should, you should charge people to be an LP. You can just be that's in true. the VC, but if you want to be an LP, then you have your NFT card. 
Because, I mean, True. LP, you're running the show, essentially. Or pretty much, you know what I mean? You're, well, you're all you get is a photo. All, you don't get to, no, you don't get to do anything. No one does, except for me. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm saying in, uh, stereotypically, oh, oh, in like, theory, if you're a limited paper, partner right? in a VC, like, you're, sure. you're, you're, you're throwing weight around versus Right, so now it's like you can pay a little more or less to be an associate versus an LP or, like, so yeah, GP. Exactly. In the company. Right. <laughs> all the GPs, we have honorary GPs. So it's, Mark, it's like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. For now, <laughs> that's quite uh, that's quite the list there. That's amazing. Oh, Dennis, I had no doubt you would make it to the rapid fire round with that hair. How wouldn't you? Okay, cool. <laughs> so now we're gonna get into some fun questions. Okay, uh, you ready? Yes. Okay, Shopify App Store, overrated, underrated, underrated. Ooh, I love it. G wagons, overrated, underrated, overrated. Ooh, really? And this is from somebody that has an incredibly, very nice one. Beautiful color yeah. scheme. I love it. SMS marketing, overrated, underrated? Underrated. Ooh, I love it. Austin, underrated, overrated? Underrated for sure. Ooh, all right, all right. Um, starting selling a business, overrated, underrated? Starting to sell one? I'm starting Austin. and selling. Oh, definitely like starting underrated. Yeah, I mean, it's... Underrated. It's, yeah. Love it. Crypto. Overrated, uh, underrated. Uh, crypto, underrated, but NFTs overrated. I love it. I like the distinction. Patek, uh, Patek Philippe. I can never say it right. Patek, Patek Philippe. Patek Philippe. Uh, yeah. Watches. Overrated, underrated. I don't have one and personally don't like deserve to have one yet, so I'm going to say they're, <laughs> they're underrated. Underrated. I love it. Uh, what gave you more gray hair, live recover or exposedly? Probably live recover. Okay. <laughs> Bigger nut though too. So the gray hair was worth it. Yeah. Uh, sure. LA Galaxy or Austin FC? I'm going to go Austin FC just because it's hey, local. Hey, Homer pick. All right. You bet, you're a booster or something, right? Or like a mini sponsor or something there? No, just... Uh, no, you yeah, just went just to a, the stadium? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a nice stadium. Uh, what's the your favorite watch that you own or favorite watch that you want to own? Right now, the favorite watch that I own is this Audemars Piguet uh, Royal yeah. Oak. But I'd like to get you know the, this other Royal Oak uh, chronograph and maybe another Rolex. And then I'm probably not going to buy any watches for quite a while. I think I have enough. I love it. Um, your favorite artist. I remember you had that really incredible piece where it was actually a painting and then um, almost like an interactive piece where he or he or she, I can't forget, but burned oh, it in front of you, right? Oh, yeah. It's Sage Barnes. He didn't burn it in front Sage, of me, but he, did, he did burn it and like film it. I, I, I actually think Sage Barnes might be like my favorite out of the ones that I have at my house. Um, yeah, we'll I like Sage Barnes. Link. He's, yeah, he's that's cool. That's a beautiful, really cool, interesting piece. Uh, your favorite in-person marketing event? You know, I'm not really... Good. I'm going to say Geek Out because it's the only one that I've been to. Are you going to Dubai in February? I, I don't think I am, but if my one of my buddies in town was like a co-founder of it, and he's going, and he's trying to get me to go. So I, I might go, but as of right now, no. Okay. It should be good. Are, you, are you going? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're sponsoring the event. And oh, then, uh, what? We'll probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Triple That's nice. Everywhere, baby. Yeah, Shack so. Attack. He's a good dude. Him and James are good dude. Good peoples. Uh, favorite place in travel to and why? I really like going to New York just because it's a good taste for like a weekend or a couple of days or even a week or two. But, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I like being like in the city for like that small amount of time. And then the rest of yeah. the time, I kind of just want to be left alone and have some space. So I think New York is great. Yeah. Probably my favorite place to visit. 
exactly same here I, I love the fire but i'll burn up if i stay there too long because I, I can't turn off and it's just but wonderful energy there love me some nyc yes, favorite sir. way to spend your time uh, i'm gonna say probably like working or running mm-hmm. <laughs> um i yeah. really like feeling i feel really good when i run and i'm really really good after i run and you know i really enjoy working to me it's almost like a sport and so i try to i want to get better and i try to learn I think I know a little bit about a lot and then there's like a few things that I know a lot about, but I, I like to be able to hopefully keep up and not be, I mean, I'm not obviously an expertise in like health or bio, anything outside of like business or software type of entrepreneurship and e-commerce, whatever. But in my sort of horizontal view, I want to kind of know a little bit about a lot. So I think I have a lot of enjoyment and like trying to learn more. How exciting. I love it. Yeah. Lifelong learner, beginner's mind. It's the way to go. Favorite follow on Twitter? Favorite follow on Twitter is probably Nikita Bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, it has to be. Especially really a recent guy. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's just really funny. And he's really funny in real life, too. I, I got to meet him. He came to Austin a couple months ago. And yeah, just a funny guy. And I enjoy that he's like a shit poster who sold his company for, for Facebook and continued shit posting. And he's also like really bright. So. Uh, it's a perfect dichotomy. I love it. Okay, last question, and then we'll wrap up. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would it be? Um, this is a four-person table. You're all eating at the same time. Uh, I'd probably pick Steve Jobs. Love it. Walt Disney and Christopher Columbus. <laughs> that is a, quite a unique mix. I love that one. You got an explorer, and then you have two visionaries. Incredible. Dennis, you absolutely smashed this. Your, your reputation preceded you. were so much fun. So many eloquent responses. Um, do you want to plug anything? You want to talk about order bomb, fake VC? The time's yours, my friend. I mean, if any, yeah, if you're using Shopify, make sure you try triple whale for your analytics hey, hey. and uh, securing your pixel data. And then, yeah, if you do order, if you want to do upsells with order bump, we'd love to have you test our app for uh, in checkout of post-purchase upsells. But aside from that, yeah, Nothing I really want to plug. Perfect. Um, you can follow Dennis on the Bird app at, uh, is it D Hashtag or is it Dennis? It's just your yeah, full Dennis, name, right? D E N N I S H E G S T A D, Dennis Hashtag. Yep. Super, super fun feed. He also has a fun Instagram feed if you want to get some more visuals there. And then if you want to try and keep up with him, follow him on Strava. But Dennis, man, this has been incredible. I really appreciate it. We'll have to put a big dinner or something together in Austin. We can do uh, this in person next time. But, dude, Super mucho. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, Keep crushing it, spreading all the light and the awesomeness, and uh, we'll see you on the flip. We have DTC barbecue coming soon. Oh, coming soon. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's all we got for you. If you do want to get more involved in Triple Whale, go to trytriplewhale.com to sign up. We are also on the Bird app at Try Triple Whale, and then we have an amazing newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday. You can subscribe to that right on our Twitter profile at Try Triple Whale. Dennis, again, thank you so much. Everybody else, we'll see you on the flip. Bye-bye. Thank you. See ya.